Good morning, Apex. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jason Zasho. I serve on staff. Uh, as Mike shared earlier, we have three different main areas of how we do things here at Apex, gathering, growing, and going. And I help uh, guide the growing area, uh, our house church, our leadership development, and our equipping. Uh, I'm going to continue uh, with us this week through our passage in Luke. Uh, we'll pick up actually just a little bit before uh, where we'll be at in Luke uh, 21 through 8. But if you wouldn't mind, get out your uh, Bibles or your phones. And we're going to look uh, starting at Luke uh, 19, verse 45. Luke writes this. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling it is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the leaders among uh, the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because of all the people who hung on his words. One day, Jesus was teaching uh, the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news. The chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it amongst themselves and they said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us, because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we do not know where it was from. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Let's pray. Father God, just uh, thank you for the gift of your word in Jesus Christ, Lord, and then as we reflect upon him through scripture. Uh, as we are just encountered by your word through your spirit today, God, may you make yourself known to us. May you reveal yourself to us, Lord. Um, may we wrestle through by what authority we do things, uh, by whose authority uh, we are granted. May we see ourselves as, as that last couple songs uh, shared, that we are redeemed, that we are, that we are delivered, and that we are, uh, as Paul says, made your children and seated in the heavenly places with you. Lord, I pray for every brother and sister that is listening and for those who don't necessarily uh, know you, Christ, yet, Lord, that you would uh, manifest yourself to them this morning, that you would speak to them, uh, that they would be encouraged uh, by what your spirit has to say. And may we, in light of that, go out and live your kingdom ways in this world for its life. It's in your son's name, Jesus, Father, that we ask these things. Amen. Um. So uh, this, is a, this is both an illustration and a mild confession. Um, for those of you who know me, uh, and those of you who don't, I'll share this story real quick. Uh, the confession is to my dad who's listening right now. Um, I have totaled four cars in my life, um, and my insurance rates are really high. And with that, uh, this past Monday night, I was driving over to Mark and Joan Eiler's house, uh, Mark is one of our elders, and we were having an elder meeting. And uh, if you guys remember this week, the rain was torrential. Um, and there's a back way over off of Whip, I think is what it is. And you turn on to Seton Hill. And because of the rain, I couldn't see the huge, you know, road close signs. And uh, 
went past the road flow signs, noticed it, and it wasn't actually driving there. It was actually in the turning around and, and then leaving that I hit the biggest pothole of my entire life. Um, and the front left uh, wheel went down into the pothole. I heard a huge thud, uh, and, and it actually took me a lot of energy of the car to get that out. Uh, and then as I'm driving, uh, I, I've lost all power to my engine. And I hear this clunk, 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 clunk. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, again. Seriously? Dear Lord, please just intervene. May everything be okay. And get to the elder meeting um, and realize this thing is, is not drivable. I share, and Mike just very wisely says, that, you know, I think it's the suspension. I think your suspension has gone out. Uh, so keep it there for the evening. Uh, call State Farm. They're like, yeah, we'll take it in. Took it over to the Voss Collision Center. And sure enough, uh, two or three days later, uh, Voss calls. And I'm just, I'm hoping, I'm the type of person that I plan for the worst case scenario. But in my mind this time, it was just like, oh, it would just be the suspension. Uh, you'll get it fixed. You'll have it back and everything will be fine. Nope, that's not what happened. Um, so it was the suspension. It was the wishbone thing that you were talking about. Mike ear, Mike's ear is really good for this sort of thing. And, um, and I have yet, like, I went through, I'm like, this is the fifth car that I've totaled. Huh. And, like, my dad's been helping me out with just finances, and he's a really good financial planner. And um, this is now, that's the story, and, and here's now my confession. Dad, I have totaled another car. We need, to, we need to figure out what I'm going to do when my rental is uh, up this Thursday. Um... And so it was, it was interesting because as I was wrestling through this question of what is it that I do? Uh, do, do I take out a loan? Do I buy used and just drive another one until it's dead or I total it again? Um, and, and I was wrestling through, I was asking people left and right. I was asking my mom for advice and she was like, don't tell your dad this. This is like, this is, this is just, you don't want to do that. Sorry, Mom. And, um, and so it was like one of those things where it's just like, where, where does my authority come from in this situation? Is it, is it coming from me and, and my own personal kind of like idea of what I think should be right? Do, do I go uh, to the group? Do I go to the community? I was asking people left and right what they thought I should do. I'm an external verbal processor. And so that tends to be where I, where I go to. Uh, and yet, in all of this, it wasn't until I was driving this morning and I was realizing that I'm preaching about the authority of the Father and how that gives us confidence and, and all that sort of thing that I realized, oh, I should probably go to my dad to talk about this. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. As, as we just read in this passage, the, the, the Pharisees come up to Jesus after he's done the turning of the tables in the temple, and they ask him, by what authority do you do these things? Jesus turns the question on them, and they ask, he asks, well, I will ask you a question. Is it, was John the Baptist uh, uh, from uh, his prophecy, his work, was it from heaven, or was it from uh, the earth? And uh, where did he get his authority? And the Pharisees didn't know. And I knew that intimately this past week. I wasn't sure what to do. I, didn't, I wasn't sure where to go for answering this question about my car. And, and I think that's actually where often when we forget who our father is, we find ourselves in the same situation. Just like Aaron and Tiffany shared, when we forget 
the love of our parents. We, we don't know whether or not we should take our troubles to them with a failing test or, or grade. So that's kind of like the big picture of where we're at. This happens to us currently as, as a country, right? Whether we go to our own individualism, right, and answering the questions of the day as corona is, uh, is spreading across our community, or we go to the collective, we go to the social. What does everyone else think? We, as God's people, we don't get our marching orders from me. We don't get our marching orders from them. We go to the Father. That's where we go. And we see what he has to say about what it looks like to be a child of God in a world that is lost. And through us, as his family, his love is made manifest. So how is it that God makes his revelation known to us? How is it that we know who he is and what his will is for our lives? How is it that we hear his voice? And then from that, walk in obedience. I want you to use your imagination for a moment. We do this exercise um, sometimes. I, I personally do it. I learned it. Uh, it's a Latin word. It's called Lexio Divina. Um, it simply means kind of like divine reading or, or reading the text of Scripture in a way that opens up your imagination. Um, I learned this way of reading from a long time ago from a guy named Joey Turner. Uh, Mike's kind of reintroduced it. We went through this with the formies, the people you just watched a video about. But I want you to kind of open your mind's eye. I'm going to read through this passage again. Right? But have your, have your eyes closed. And I want you to think through, what is, it that you're, what is it that you're seeing? What are you hearing? Perhaps, what is it that you're smelling? Even tasting in the thickness of the air. Here is Jesus, finishing his ministry on earth, entering into Jerusalem for his final week before he heads to the cross. And he goes to the most important place and the center of Jewish worship, the temple. Have your senses alive. Close your eyes. I'm going to read this again. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. Now, every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among them were trying to kill him, yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the teachers of the law together with the elders came up to him. Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origins? They discussed it amongst themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origins, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we do not know where it is from. 
Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. All right, open your eyes. This is going to be a little bit interactive. Uh, Speak loud, but what were some of the things that as I heard that, that you kind of saw in your mind's eye? The things that you saw. Light and shadow. Light and shadow. What else? What else did you see? Bewilderment. Bewilderment. So there's a bit of kind of craziness that's going on. What else? Fear of man versus fear of God. So you, you saw people kind of questioning. What were some of the things that you, say, heard? Murmuring. Murmuring? Yeah, so you have animals that are kind of around the temple uh, courts. I heard the crashing of tables as they were overturned. Oh, this one's a little bit more interesting. What were some of the things that you smelled? Dry, dusty air. So it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more uh, arid. Sheep. Smell the smell of sheep. The smell of sacrifice. Perhaps the smell of fire, because the animals were being burnt up as a sacrifice. You smelled a skunk. Yeah. There very well might have been one of those there. It was definitely, like, I remember when I was living with my aunt and uncle during an internship uh, in Pennsylvania. It was all farmland. I'm not sure if you've ever been to this farmland, but there's a very distinctive smell of farmland. And that's one of the things that I smelled. Kind of the smell of farmland, the smell of, the smell of, 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 of blood and death, but then also kind of like the chattering of life. When I was going through and studying through this passage, it was just like, as I was reading it, I was sharing with Chad, it was like, this, came, this passage, for whatever reason, came more and more alive the more that I thought through this. And, and this story of the temple, it's not anything new for God's people. Uh, this whole question about how do God's people dwell uh, with him is the question that we've all been asking. God made himself known in the garden. And in the cool of the day, he walked with the man and the woman, naming them Adam and Eve, and telling them, this is the tree that you're supposed to eat of that gives life, but this is the tree that if you eat of it, surely you will die. And the man and the woman, uh, as we know, they disobeyed. And, and in that disobedience, uh, there was a sacrifice that was to be made. There was an animal that was killed on the behalf of the man and the woman to make a covering for them. Again, very real and tangible experiences and expressions of relationship with God. And then Cain and Abel. You know, Cain wrestled through that same question. Is it about me or is it about others? And and he decided that it was about him, and so he did not bring his first offerings. And then you jump ahead to the story of Noah. Them too, they were wrestling with what does it look like to be with God? And, and, and Noah got it right. In the end of chapter 6, it said, And Noah did everything the Lord said. But that was in comparison to the people. Noah announced what God was supposed to be doing and, and, and said, Repent, right? But did they? No, they listened to the voice of the crowds. And they perished. And you saw Noah, though, he still expressed his own individualism. 
because he got drunk off the fruit of his labor. And that whole thing happened with uh, his son who went away and the son of the Canaanites were, were cursed from that day. Then you jump ahead to Babel. That's an, also another question of like, how does God make himself known? They tried to build it up on, for themselves. And so you see this wrestling after the fall of, of what is God saying and, and how do I relate to him? Is it something that I conjure up in myself? It is something that we do together. Where does it come from? And God sets the paradigm in his relationship with Abram. It's not something you conjure up yourself. It's not something that's conferred upon and consensus amongst the people. It is something made known by revelation. God shows up to Abram and he says, Abram, go to the land that I will show you. Do what I say and I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. Those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse will be cursed. And get this, through you all the families, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God sets up the paradigm that we as his people don't start with ourselves. We don't start with each other. We start with him. He makes himself known, and then through that we respond. Now, this is exactly what happened with uh, the story that we just read about, or sung about, with the story of the Exodus. They were all crying out, God set us free, and so then God, when the time was right, showed up and set the Israelites free. And he, and he guided them, and he made himself known. He took them, and they crossed the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness, took them to Mount Sinai, at which point Moses went up to the top, and God made himself known. And he gave them the ten words, the ten words of life, often what we call the Ten Commandments. And Moses brought this down. Now, what did they do? Did they listen to the voice of God? No, they returned to their kind of individualist and collectivist ways. And Aaron made a calf, and they all worshipped it. At this point, Moses is like, I'm done. He smashes it on the ground. And he goes away into a little tent that he takes outside of the camp. And the pillar of cloud comes down off of the mountain and rests outside of the tent as Moses is wrestling through what to do next. And this is the first place that we see God beginning to make a, an inhabitant, a dwelling place in which he will make himself known. Now, what's particular about this is it's Moses away from the people and God meeting him there. But then when he ends up setting the pattern, and you can read about this in Exodus chapter 25, it's not a tent that's away from the people, that kind of individualistic mindset. It's a tent that's in the midst of the people. And in the midst of that tent, there is a holy place. You heard Aaron and, and, and Tiffany talk about it again this morning, that God's holiness isn't so much about what we do or don't do. It's about our nearness to God, which is why every time you got closer and closer to the holy place, to even the holy of holies, that's where God was. And they were to build an ark. And on that ark, it was supposed to be made of a wood, and then it was casted with gold. And then at the top of it were two seraphim. And it's not that God was the ark or God was inside the ark with the tablets and later, as Hebrews tells us, uh, a bowl of manna and, and, and Aaron's rod. No, the, the, the ark was the seat upon which God sat. 
And once a day, on the, a year, on the Day of Atonement, the, the chief high priest would go in and, and he would make atonement for the people's sins. And this is actually a really interesting thing if we even look at the way that the temple was set up. It was originally, if I can get the whiteboard, please. The temple was about this. It was about revelation. The temple was about God making himself known. You went to the temple to be with God and hear from him. The temple was also about dwelling. Or the tabernacle, excuse me. The tabernacle is where God dwelled, like we said, on the seat between the seraphim. But then also, the temple was about worship. You went to the temple in order to worship God. This is where the sacrificial system came in. There are three major categories of sacrifices. There were sacrifices that were called expiatory uh, sacrifices. They were the sacrifices that, that satisfies God's wrath towards our sin. There were uh, sacrifices of dedication, uh, sacrifices of consecration, saying, I am now set apart back towards you, God. I'm, I am holy with you because you are holy, and your holiness becomes my holiness. And then there were sacrifices of communion. Now, these were the best sacrifices, and in fact, like the, the sacrifices and what they were all meant for. And this is when you would gather your family, and everyone would take a half of the meat uh, that was one, one half was burnt up to God, and the other half you would sit in, in the, in, around the tabernacle, and you would eat it together. And the idea was you were eating a meal with God. Does that sound familiar a little bit? And that was the whole purpose. And, and, and God set it up in a way that anyone, anyone got to participate. And so the offerings were not, uh, uh, were not only for the rich, but they were also for the poor. So if you, could only, if you were poor and you could only afford, say, a, 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 a bird to bring, you were allowed to bring that. Or if you were really rich, you could bring a whole heifer, a calf. And the communion offerings was available for everyone. There was no exploitation. The Levites got their own. And you saw this set up even in the way that God set up uh, their economy. They would go and they would have uh, their fields, but they were to leave uh, uh, the, uh, the food that wasn't all picked. They weren't supposed to pick everything. They were supposed to leave some for those who were left. And so God gave those who were poor left. And so God gave description and inscription on how they were to live. It wasn't just about me. It was also about other. And, and it was because God said, we're one big family. Through you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed, Abram. We're one big family. And so we go to God's presence to hear who he is in order to dwell with him and to set ourselves apart with him and in order to worship him. Now, unfortunately, this is not how it all played out. As you guys are familiar with the story, perhaps, uh, the, the tabernacle uh, was, uh, uh, what's the word? It just wasn't, they weren't doing with it what they ought to be doing with it. They weren't taking care of the neediest amongst them. Uh, they weren't really worshiping God. They, they began worshiping idols. And God even said to them in the end of Deuteronomy, after he gives them their law, he says, if you, do not, if you do not 
follow this way of life that I've set before you today, I'm going to have people come and take you, and you're going to be exiled. The land is going to hurl you out. And sure enough, that happened. In 722 B.C., the Persians came in and kicked them out. And then even in 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar II ransacked Jerusalem, and the temple, which, the tabernacle which they built into a temple at this point was completely destroyed. How would that feel? That dwelling place, that, that place of relationship, gone. Because they didn't go to God for revelation. They went to them, themselves, themselves. They went to the community, but they didn't go to God as their primary place. So they returned eventually to the land, and, and you had Artaxerxes say, hey, here's some money, rebuild the temple. And, and they built a second temple, but it was never up to the same caliber. There's many writings about this. And, and, and this way of life in the second temple is something that greatly influenced them as they were trying to protect themselves from, from ever experiencing exile again. And so there was a lot of different ways of managing this that came about, this self-management. Well, maybe it's going to be through strict adherence to the law. Maybe it's like the Essenes, and we're just going to remove ourselves completely from the community around us. Maybe it's by having power plays, and so kind of like what the Sadducees did. Or, or maybe it's just kind of like not really caring and just going about your own business like the crowds did. Then Jesus shows up. And he says, and John, I'm going to destroy this temple. But on the third day, I'm going to build it again. And that began his ministry in a way that the leadership of the time hated him. And he continued to challenge the ways of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the chief priests because they were living their lives as if they were getting the authority from themselves or conferring their authority from the people around them. But Jesus didn't live by that authority. As we see in uh, Peter's life, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out uh, the twelve and the 12 end up being rejected by a lot of people. But at the end of Luke chapter 9, Jesus asks of Peter, who do you say I am? And he says, you are the Messiah. You've been sent from the Father. Jesus continues on his ministry, and he's saving the most important ministry for the Jews at the time, the best for last. And that's what we end up here in Luke chapter 9. Now Jesus in his last week and, and over the course of the next several weeks as we go through the last part of Luke, this is going to be the backdrop. The temple is the backdrop for everything Jesus is getting ready to say and do in his last week. And so Jesus is now here. He's given his... Oh, you can get rid of that. I'm just going back to my text. He's going to the temple... And what does he do? He reclaims it for his father. Because what they had done was they had built an economy around it that served themselves. It wasn't wrong for people to sell things. In fact, Deuteronomy 14 tells us that if you can't travel 
with everything that you need on the day of your festivals that you're supposed to sell them, uh, the tent that you're supposed to give over, and you're supposed to take it with you, and you're supposed to buy everything that you need wherever the tabernacle is at that point. Well, by the time uh, Jerusalem's temple was built, they would sell everything and come there. But when they got there, what they were met with was exploitation. And that's the primary thing that Jesus is after. We see that in the synoptic accounts of what's going on here. Because the whole purpose of the temple experience was to be and dwell with, the, with God. And Jesus was, was against the way they were doing it because at that point it wasn't about dwelling with God. It was about serving a system that was all about a few and not about all of God's people and who God was. And so Jesus turns over the tables, saying, we're done with this. And he begins teaching around the temple. And this makes the leadership furious. And so Jesus is approached by the leadership. And they asked him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who's given you the right to do this? Now, in classic rabbinical way, Jesus takes a question and returns it with another question. And he asks the question of them. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Now, the scripture says they discuss amongst themselves. If we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. Here's the question that Jesus puts on them, right? Are you, are you going to own this yourself or are you going to submit to the fear of other people? And that's what happens. That's how we live when we don't have the Father's authority in our lives. We're constantly tossed back and forth, as James tells us. We don't have confidence. This is not the type of leadership that we want. This is not the type of leadership that Jerusalem and God's people were meant to have. But it's the type of leadership Jesus gives. And we're faced with that same question. Where does your authority come from? Where does my authority come from? By what power do we do the things that God asks us to do. Throw the uh, whiteboard back up. If you've been around Apex for a bit, we've used language like covenant and kingdom a lot. Covenant means relationship. Kingdom means responsibility. And this is exactly what Jesus is offering. He knows who his father is. Because he takes the time to hear his father's voice. And so, oops, oh no, that's your pen. Because of the covenant of God, because of our relationship with him, he is our father. He informs our identity. And we live out and obedience. Because Jesus is our king in the kingdom, 
He gives us authority. As he says, all authority in heaven has been given to me, I give to you. And then we go out and we live in power. We toss back and forth in the waves of life and the streams and the currents of culture because we forget our Father and we forget the King. We forget the identity that we have as his kids and the authority that he, we have because we're citizens of the king. And a, and a, and a nation, and a, and a country, and a land, and a citizenship that's better than any other citizenship this world offers. And then from that, from our identity and from our authority, we get to go out and live in obedience and power. And so here's, here's the first question for us to ponder through. Are you being tossed around? Kind of like me when it came to the car, what do I do, what do I don't do? Do I take a loan out, do I not take a loan out? Do I wear a mask, not wear a mask? Or is our, is our identity and our authority informed by who our Father is and who Jesus is as King? And then we have freedom just to live. As I was sitting down there, I loved what James has to say about this when it comes to living out this way of life. This is in James chapter 2. My brothers and my sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst the people and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom of God? He promised those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Now get this. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, right? So we're wrestling through that question. What do we do? Whose voice do we listen to? Love your neighbor as yourself. Then you are doing it right. But if you show favoritism, your sins are and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles on just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do break murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives them freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus is showing up to the temples and he is just, just showing his mercy to everyone because that's what the Father does. Meanwhile, the Pharisees at this time are just being pompous, judgy judgers. I want to say something stronger, but there's kids in the room. And as we venture through Jesus' final week we're just going to see the love of the Father 
just expound and grow and grow and grow until we get to the cross. As he takes on all of our sin and through the power of the resurrection, he raises us, as Paul says, and seats us with him in the heavenlies. And then get this. As Paul describes this new heavenly temple where the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down, where the two were now made one human, the Jews and the Gentiles, with Christ as the foundation, as the cornerstone, and the apostles and the prophets as the foundation, he's making one new humanity. That's us. That's our marching orders. Go out. Live the life and love of God. Build a new humanity where there's no longer the types of divisions we see in the world, where it's no longer defined by meism or theism, but it's defined by God and his revelation in the world. Leaders of communities, leaders of house churches, are you making time in your life to step outside of the hub of all the busyness and the hubbub to go and hear God's voice. Not being like the not being like the Israelites with Moses and making up your own decisions by consensus about what it looks like to worship God, but hearing God's voice and, and taking it back to the people and saying, "Hey, this is what God has told me to do. This is what God has for us." Are you personally taking time in your life to retreat? To live out that temple presence that you have because you are a beloved of God's and his spirit dwells in you to hear his voice and his vision for your life. Maybe you're here, maybe you're online listening and you haven't even experienced the power and the presence of the Father. Maybe his spirit seems far off and Jesus' love either seems too, be, too good to be true or, or something just like the Pharisees, you still think that, that he's a liar. Where are you right now? What is it that God is saying to you? As we sing this last song, reflect on that. And consider that as you go throughout this week. What is God making himself known to you? And then, as always, what are you going to do about it? Let's pray. Father God, just thank you so much for always, always, always making yourself known to us. As Mike shared last week in Christ, you have brought a visitation. And as we looked at Jesus' words and interactions with the Pharisees, God, let us not be like the Pharisees and being caught up between, Lord, what we think we ought to do or what others think that we ought to do, or but... We actually know the answer to that question that Jesus asks them, that it's the Father that gives you authority, Jesus. And because we too now call the Father our Father, that his authority and power and identity rests on us. May it be this week, and may the world be changed because of your work in us. Sing your sons, and we pray. Amen.